Let's take our Bible this morning and we continue our series, Pastor Kobe began a couple of weeks ago, entitled Little Letters, Little Letters. And the letter we're looking at this morning is 2 John. It is the littlest of them all. And, uh, but Brother Joey, thank you for praying for our Vacation Bible School. Uh, it is one of the greatest outreaches, I believe, of Baptist churches, reaching our kids, reaching community kids, and uh, just pray, pray, pray. I know many of you probably came to Christ at a Vacation Bible School. So uh, we're excited about what's going on this week, and pray for our staff and uh, the, all the volunteers this week. So it's going to be a wonderful week. But take a minute, find Second John. I've been trying, I was trying all week to incorporate, the theme of Second John is shipwrecked, but it's not. I'm so, I've, I've tried to, I mean, I too have never seen a drummer in a tiki hut, but uh, I was trying to come up how we could tie the two together, but it's just beyond my expertise to do that, okay? But we are going to look at the entire book. There are 13 verses here in Second John. Next week, we will look at Third John, and uh, that will be the last of our Little Letters series, okay? So let me begin this morning by reading this entire book, all 13 verses, okay? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, please just to stand where you are in honor of God's Word. I'm going to read the book, read the passage, and have prayer, and then we will begin. Second John, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that you, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as having coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, we pray that as we study this short but powerful letter, God, that you would open our hearts to your truth. God, that you would help us to go 
Father, move deeper into a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to be strong defenders of the truth, God, that you have given us. And Lord, you've given it to us for your glory. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be, be seated. We know that 2 John is written by the elder John, the same one who gave us 1 John, who gave us the gospel of John. 2 John has many of the same themes that John gives us in his first letter, in 1 John. So I'm going to kind of give you, first of all, a review of 1 John, kind of a flyby version of the book of 1 John so that we can understand more about what we're going to see in 2 John. 1 John was written so that we can have assurance in the Christian life. I remember uh, as a college student here at the university, I attended Emanuel Baptist Church, which was over on the other side of town than it is now. But Dr. Kenneth Houchin was our pastor. And uh, many students went there. And, but I remember Dr. Houchin always saying there are two great days in a Christian's life. The first great day is the day you're saved, the day you come to know Christ. And the second day is the day that you know that you are saved. And I, I remember hear, him saying that several times because I know a lot of people over the years for a long time who have really struggled with this issue. How can I know that I've really been born again? How can I know that I really am a Christian, that I have a relationship with God? Well, the book of 1 John and we'll see in 2 John are written to give us, first of all, assurance in our faith. John tells us in 1 John chapter, uh, in the, the epistle of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, he tells us that we can look at our life and examine our relationship to other believers. I, I call that the social test. Look at 1 John chapter 2 verse 9. John says, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. What's the test? We call it the social test. Do I have love for my brother? Is there a love in my heart for fellow believers, for other people? Now, let me just say right off, in each of these three examinations, each of these three tests, no one does it perfectly. But can you see how you've been growing in this area? Can you see how God has given you a greater love for fellow believers, for your family, for other people, for your neighbor? Do you see the love of God in your heart? The second test is a moral test. Do we obey his commandments? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. John says, by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. So I, ca I call this the moral test or the test of obedience. Is the trend of my life toward obeying the commandments of God? Do I want to do what God wants me to do? Do I do that perfectly? No. But is that the desire of my heart? I love Psalm 119, 165. It says, those who love thy law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Do, do I love God's word? Do I enjoy getting into God's word? 
Are his commandments delightful? Are his commandments kind of the direction of my life? For some, do I spend any time in God's word? The moral test, do I, do I obey the commandments? Do I want to live a life of obedience for Christ? You know, again, not perfectly, but when I see that's the desire of my heart, I can say, you know, God's at work in my heart. God's doing a work there. The third test, the doctrinal test. Do we believe the truth about Jesus? John says in 1 John 4, 2, by this you know, there's that word again, K-N-O-W, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. What do you believe about Jesus? And that's one of uh, the themes in John's second letter here we're going to look at in just a minute. But these letters, John's letters, are written to us to give us assurance so that we can know that we have a relationship with God. That's what he says at the end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John said, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some people would say, you know, it's very arrogant of you Christians to say you know you're going to heaven. <laughs> is it arrogance or is it faith? I choose the latter. It's faith. I know that if I were to die, I would go to heaven, not based on my life, not based on what I, I have done, but based on the grace of God, based on the promises of God's word. I can know for sure that I have eternal life. And let me tell you, that is one of the greatest realizations that a believer can ever have, to know that you're a Christian. And so as you read the, first, the book of 1 John, you see these three tests, the social test. You know, is the love of God in my heart? The moral test, do I seek to obey his commandments? The doctrinal test, do I believe that God came in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, his son? Are these things that I believe? Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you. If there are issues in those areas, then we need to come to Christ. <laughs> we need to get right with the Lord. And say, God, I, I want to confirm this area of my life. I want to know for sure. So that's what we see in 1 John. But notice all three of these tests in 2 John. Look at verse 5. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we what? Love one another. There's that social test, that we love one another. Look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. There's that, what test? The moral test. Our lifestyle, our walk. Are we walking in obedience? Then in verse seven, it's kind of, we take the negative point, but he said, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not, but we do, we acknowledge, verse seven, that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. And we're gonna look at that more in just a moment. But we, do you see the connection here between 1 John and 2 John? So John is, is driving home a point that we need to have assurance in our relationship with God. So that's one of the reasons he's written these letters. But also a secondary reason, he's written these letters so that you and I can discern truth from deception. So that you and I can discern truth from deception. And that's what we're going to see here in 2 John. Uh, the summary of this short letter would simply be 2 John encourages us to abide in truth and warns us 
to avoid deception, okay? Quick background, John, as I said, is the elder. He was old when he wrote this, but he's not writing and calling himself an elder because he's an old man. He's writing because of his authority to the churches in this area. Some people believe that he's writing to an actual lady, a woman in the church at Ephesus. As a matter of fact, many of the folks I read believe that. Uh, some, however, and I'm of the inclination, he's writing to the church. I believe that he's using a female designation to the church, particularly the church at Ephesus there. But either way, whether it's to a real lady, a particular lady and her children, or the church and her children, either way, it does not change the message, a message of encouragement and a message of warning. It's interesting that the context of this letter is being shipwrecked. No, I'm teasing. The context of this letter, I'm just seeing if you're awake, is verse 10 and 11, hosting traveling missionaries. Now, we'll see in 3 John, John, he, uh, he tells them, be sure to host the right ones. Be sure when you host someone who's traveling and preaching and teaching, you're furthering the kingdom of God. In 2 John, he's warning them, don't host the wrong people. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, okay? So there were no holiday inns in those days. There were no travel lodges. So the inns that existed had poor reputations. Many of them were run down, flea infested places that you would not want to stay there. But as the gospel was being spread, as missionaries were going about, they, when they went from place to place, they would find lodging in the homes of other Christians. So John is saying, be careful who you invite into your house. Be careful who you support. It's, it's imperative that you support the right teaching, the right missionaries. This was a vital work in the kingdom of God. Paul, when he traveled to Philippi, stayed in the home of Lydia. When he went to Thessalonica, he stayed with Jason. When he went to Corinth, he stayed with Gaius. So hosting missionaries was a vital part of the spread of the gospel, the kingdom of God. It was so important. It was so important to do it, and it must be done in the right way. Look at 3 John verse 8. He says, therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So John was saying, when you do this, you're being a part of God's work. So be careful who you host. It's essential for the host to distinguish between the true and the false. So as we'll see this morning, there's a warning about being deceived and there's an encouragement to walk in truth. Let's look at the first, the encouragement. We are encouraged to abide in truth. We see this in verses one through six that we just read. Truth, you know, you remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Jesus said to him, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What did Pilate say? What is truth? What is truth? That's a good question for us to begin with this morning. What is truth? Much like Pastor Colby, as he was teaching us through uh, the book of Jude the past two Sundays, and we were encouraged to contend for the faith, the faith. And he did a great job of you know, telling us it's not just my faith, but the faith is what we believe as Christians. And so the same can be said about the truth but also there's a side of the truth that we cannot ignore based on John's gospel. What did Jesus say about the truth? John 14, 6. I see something. I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but by me. So I want us to get our minds kind of wrapping around this this morning that the truth is, yes, is the teachings of Christ, are the teachings of Christ. They are the truth, the gospel, the truth. But also, I want us to understand that our relationship with the truth is as personal as our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Yes, there's a, the teaching of Christ, but there's the person of Christ who is the truth, the truth. John says in verse two of second John here that we have come to know the truth and this truth abides in us and will be with us forever. So as we talk about the truth this morning is centered in the person of Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures. So the teaching of the scriptures, the person of Christ, that's the truth that we're talking about. And we're encouraged to abide in the truth. Look, look at verse three. What's the truth about grace, mercy, and peace? Well, the truth about grace is that God extends to us his grace. Unmerited, undeserved, for by grace are we saved. And we need to understand that. We need to abide in that truth. We need to wrap our minds around that truth that God's provision for us in Christ was by grace. God loves us while we were undeserving. We need to understand that. That's a part of the truth. What about mercy? Verse three, mercy is God's heart toward us by not giving us what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, which is salvation. Mercy is when God does not give us what we do deserve, which is judgment, okay? Paul told Titus, for by grace, he said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are saved. We're saved by his mercy, that he is not giving us what we deserve. So the truth about mercy is life-changing. His mercy, he saved us according to his mercy through Christ. The scripture tells us about peace, that peace will be with us. Peace with God is God's presence with us. You know, now there's, there's a, two biblical teachings on peace. The peace of God, which I know I struggled for years. I had ulcers as a 15-year-old. I didn't know peace. I worried about everything. I was just internally grinding all the time. I had a real lack of peace in my life. Uh, I remember when I came to Christ, laying my head on, Brian, on the bed at Bryant Hall, I realized then that I had peace with God. But I didn't have the peace of God. The peace with God is what God has done as he has brought together. Peace means to make complete that relationship that we can have with God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that, these elements, grace, mercy, and peace, that's the truth that we are to abide in. That's a part of the truth that we are to abide in, to understand these things, to cling to these things, to hold to these truths as they are so near and dear to us. This truth is the teaching of Christ, but again, this truth is Christ. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you, free, set you free. This is the truth, John says, that we have come to know him, and this truth will be with us forever. So how do we abide in this truth? Two things. First of all, John tells us we are to love 
in truth. Notice that in verse 1. To the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Whom I love in truth. See, we're bound together by this common bond of truth. Now, I, I took some minute, uh, just a few seconds while I go deliberately to look out across our congregation. And we got wonderful folks here. I mean, I, I look around and I see people, see some guests. We're glad you're here this morning. But I see people that, that to me are easy to love. But listen to this. The reason we love each other is not because we're so lovable, okay? Some people are harder to love than others. We, we don't just naturally love one another. There, there's a common bond that draws us together. Kobe read about it a while ago from Colossians 3. The perfect bond of unity is what? Love. Love. We love each other with a deeper level of love because of Christ. Because we love one another in truth. In truth. It's this love that enables us to love one another unconditionally. To love in truth means that, that I'm going to love you the way God loves me. And, and that's exactly what John is talking about. Because if you look at the Greek word there, he doesn't use the word phileo, which would be a human kind of brotherly love. But he uses the word agape, which is God's love, an unconditional love. So he says that not only that, that we are to love one another, but notice that he says that I love this lady in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth. So what's he saying there? Although agape love is the highest form of love, it is the common love of the church. That we love one another the way God loves us. That's what it means to love in truth. You know, I've done marriage counseling over the years, and I've realized, you know, guys, well, I just fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of trees. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, my life has changed. I fell in love. You don't fall in love. You fall in holes. You know, love goes much deeper than just an emotional feeling. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the way God loved us. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. Christ died for us. There's a love in truth that goes much deeper than just physical attraction, sensual attraction, or brotherly love. And that's what we're talking about here, that to abide in the truth means that I have made up my mind. I'm going to love those people. By God's grace, I'm going to love those people. I'm going to be a part of a loving environment. I'm going to be a part of loving each other unconditionally. You know, Paul is not talking about love, but in Philippians 2, I think he describes love very clearly when he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Church, just to sum it up, that's what love is. When you consider the other person as more important than yourself, that's love. But let me tell you what love and truth does as well. Love and truth tells us not only love those who love us, love your family, love your church family, but loving and truth tells us to love our enemies. That's what Colby, Pastor Colby talked about Wednesday night from Matthew chapter 5, that we are to love our enemies. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in, love, who is in heaven. Love your enemies. How can we do that? Only through Christ. Katie, I know I skipped a lot. I'm going to go back here just a second. Are you with me? This love, 1 John 4, 7, 11. Are we there? 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So, If I'm going to abide in truth, I've got to get a handle on this matter of loving other people, loving others the way God loves us. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, loving one another was not a new commandment, but Jesus said, the standard that I give you is new. You don't just love your neighbor and hate your enemies. You love others the way I've loved you. And I have loved you while you are or were the enemies of God. So we see this is a new level of love. Loving in truth means that we're willing to lay down our lives for those as we love as Christ has loved us. We're willing to lay down our rights to consider the other person more important than ourselves. I have young people all the time ask, when do I know that I'm ready to get married? Are you ready to love? Are you ready to consider that other person more important than yourself? It's not a 50-50 deal. It's 100% because that's what genuine love really is. How can we do this? Only when we love in truth. Only when we love in Christ. Only when we know Christ and we're filled with his spirit. Romans 5, 5 says, for the love of Christ has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. By this love, loving in truth, Jesus says, all men will know that you're my disciples. At the end of 1 John, or in the middle of 1 John, John says this, my little children, let us not love with word or tongue or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So if we're going to love in truth, it will impact our lives which leads to the second point. How do we abide in truth? We are to live in truth. We're to live it. We're to live it out. Four through six. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. Walking in truth. Look at verse six. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Now, when the Bible talks about our walk, the Bible's talking about our lifestyle, how we live. So very clearly, you can tell John is encouraging us, love in truth and live in truth. Walk in obedience to these commandments. How do we know that we're in the truth? Our walk, our lifestyle will be different. We seek to walk in obedience to Christ. We live the truth. 1 John 2, 6, 
The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. A friend of mine came to Christ because of that verse. He said, I read that. He said, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. He was mid-20s. He said, you know, I've always called myself a Christian, but I'm not walking the way Christ walked. I don't even want to. And what does God do when he saves us? He changes our wanter. We want to walk. Do we do it perfectly again? It's not the perfection of our life. It's the direction of our life. Am I seeking to be more like Christ? Living this truth. 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. What's interesting here in 2 John is notice the relationship. It is consistent in scripture, but particularly here. Notice the relationship between love and obedience. Verse 6, John says, this is love. What is love? Is it a feeling? Is it, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. What? Love is obedience. That's an interesting way to describe love, isn't it? Love is obedience, keeping his commandments. In verse 6, and this is the commandment. Okay, this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it, John says. Look at that. That you should walk in it. Walk in what? Love. <laughs> I mean, we're to walk in love. What's the commandment? The commandment is that we love. So here's the only thing I can conclude from this passage, that love is obedience and obedience is love. You know, sometimes we try to overcomplicate things, don't we? Oh, we got to do this. Are you keeping the Ten Commandments? Are you doing this? Man, hey, look, do I love God and love people? Love God, love people, hate sin. That kind of simplifies things. But obedience is love, and love is obedience. That's what Jesus said, John 14. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he who has my commandments and obeys them, is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. John says something similar in verse 9. The one who abides in this teaching to love has both the Father and the Son. Look at that at verse 9. So how can we have an eternal relationship with the creator of the universe? Through Christ. By knowing his commandments, keeping his commandments, loving him, loving in truth, loving one another. How do we abide in truth? By loving in truth. How do we abide in truth? By living the truth. What a great encouragement. What a great encouragement this morning. But quickly, let me show you the warning. Verse 7. We are warned to avoid deception. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Okay? John has strong words for these false teachers. He gives us a warning to avoid deception. What does he tell us to do? Three things. To discern error, to discipline our hearts, and defend the faith. See, Jesus warned us that there would be false messiahs. Paul warned us that there would be false teachers, false prophets. I like what Paul said, they would come tickling our ears. What does that mean? Tickling our ears. 
It means they're going to come telling us what we want to hear. Wow. False messiahs, false teachers, false prophets telling us what we want to hear. So we need to, first of all, discern error. John warns us about those who would come teaching who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Are they saying Jesus never existed? No. They would acknowledge that Jesus existed. What they were actually teaching is a form of, the word is Gnosticism, where they would say Jesus came, but he was not God in the flesh. Okay? That God did not come in the flesh. That's the very heart of the gospel. God had, Jesus had to be fully God to save us for all eternity because he was eternal from the foundation of the world. Jesus had to be fully man to be one of us, to be a suitable sacrifice for us, to die for our sin. So he was fully God, fully man. And there are those who would come and say, yeah, well, he became God at his baptism and he, God left him at the cross. Or There were all kinds of variations, but it, it was a type of Gnostic teaching where they denied the incarnation of Christ. They also denied the centrality of Jesus in salvation. They, one of the things, they promoted a promiscuous lifestyle. There's a difference between the spirit and the flesh. Your flesh can do whatever you want to as long as your spirit's right. Wrong, Romans chapter six. They, they also advertise as a part of their teaching a, a deeper experience. We're gonna take you deeper than the gospel. We're gonna take you into a deeper life. And so if you read John's writings, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you can find a, kind of see these teachings of the Gnostics because he hits each point very clearly in his writings. But for the sake of our conversation this morning, we have to discern error. What do you believe about Jesus? Is Jesus God in the flesh? There are people who are coming and knocking on your door, telling you about God, talking about God, but they don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe God has come in the flesh. We need to discern error. Don't be afraid to ask them, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Is he God in the flesh? Don't be deceived. We need to be careful. We need to discern error. How do we do that? By being in the word of God on a consistent basis. In his word. Secondly, we must discipline our heart. That's what Paul says in verse eight. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. You know, there are all kinds of watch programs. You got weight watchers. You got watch this, watch that. You know, what does that mean? It means just look at yourself. <laughs> watch yourselves. Discipline yourself. I immediately thought of Proverbs 4.23, which says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it, from it flow the springs of life. Notice what John says when he says, watch over your heart. Do not lose what we've accomplished. In other words, don't go back. Paul told the church at Galatia, you know, you've, you're left the gospel for a different gospel. He said, which is really not a gospel at all. When you go back, you lose everything that you've had. John warns us, don't be a spiritual loser. Don't be a spiritual loser. Cling to the truth. Then he says, don't go too far. Look at verse nine. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So again, obviously the false teachers promise to take their followers beyond what you've heard before. That's always interesting, isn't it? Let me tell you something new. Let me tell you something new. 
Paul says that's going to be one of the catchphrases of the end times. Trying to Let's tell you something new. Watch, and we see this with new agers. We see this with new teachings all the time. Let me tell you something new. Let me take you to a deeper level of spirituality. John says, discipline your heart. Don't go back. Don't go forward. John warns us, when you leave Christ and his gospel, you not only lose him, but you lose the Father. You lose the Father. Now, does that mean we, need, we don't need to be growing? No. Peter says, but grow in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We never stop growing. But let me tell you this, we never outgrow the gospel. The gospel is a simple presentation. The gospel is a simple message of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a message that demands repentance and faith. And let me tell you, all of the Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. So that we can walk in fellowship with God and we can walk with fellowship and fellowship with one another. Repentance and faith. So we need to discipline. We need to discern and discipline our hearts, but we need to defend the truth. This is where it gets interesting. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Again, here's kind of really the heart of the letter. You got the truth. You need to abide in truth, love in truth, live in truth. But here's, here's how you know the difference. Deceivers are going to come. Don't bring them into your house. Don't be a part of their ministry. Don't help them along the way. As we said in 3 John, verse 8, that they, they would be fellow workers with the truth. So just the opposite is true here. They would be fellow workers with deception if you brought the wrong people into your home. So what does that mean for us today? Just a couple things. Be careful who you support financially. There are a lot of people on television, radio, whatever, all kind of ministries out there asking for support, financial support. Be very careful who you support. Make sure they are teaching the Bible. Make sure they are sound doctrinally. Make sure you're not giving your money to support some type of false teaching. They can come in all kind of packages. So be careful. Don't buy books or purchase literature from questionable teachers. You're supporting their ministry. Now, I can see guys, well, I need to get to see what this guy's saying. I want to study it and refute it. You know, that's okay. But if you're learning, you're filling your home and your mind with false teaching, you're doing exactly what John tells us not to do. Don't support them. Don't aid them. Don't be purchasing their materials, their tapes, their CDs. Don't be supporting their ministry and filling your home and filling your mind with false doctrine. And this is one I think probably that we all can relate to. Don't slam the door, but don't invite strangers into your home to entertain them who come to your door with false doctrine. Let me just tell you something I found years ago. Be nice because they thrive on rejection. You know, they reject us, they're mean to us because we're telling the truth and they're living a lie. No, be nice. Tell them about Jesus if you can. I've had hours of conversation with different groups who come and with very little success, I'll be honest with you. But as a Christian layman, layperson, don't invite them into your home. Don't entertain them in your home. Don't give them the opportunity to lead you away from the gospel, the truth of the gospel. 
Be nice to them. Tell them about Jesus if you can, if they'll listen. Many times they won't. When you start talking about what Jesus means to you, they're ready to 88 and out the gate, okay? But you tell them if you can. Don't slam the door, but don't invite them in. Don't invite them in. I like what Ligon Duncan says. Christians, don't dabble, don't mingle, don't be pulled in through a personal relationship with someone who is teaching something that's going to cut you off from your only hope of salvation. That's how dangerous, that's how important this is. Don't dabble, don't mingle. Now, I know there are a number of questions probably running through your mind. Jesus, you know, John's not telling us that every time we disagree, we need to disfellowship. You know, I'm not gonna have fellowship with that God because he didn't, no. Even denominations, there are denominations that we disagree about certain things, but we can agree on this, the centrality of Jesus. If a denomination denies the centrality of Christ, if a denomination denies the person and work of Christ, we don't want to have fellowship with them. That's false teaching. Is John telling me not to have non-Christians in my home? No. (laughs) No. All of Scripture tells us to invite lost people into our homes. We're to feed them. We're to fellowship with them. We're to love them to Jesus. Don't say, well, 3 John says, I'm not going to let you in the door. No. No. Third John says, second John, excuse me, says don't let a false teacher in your home. But a lost person, you come in and you, by God's grace, share the gospel and lead them to Jesus. So what's the takeaway this morning? Two things. Lord, give us discerning minds and loving hearts. Discerning minds and loving hearts. While we must love one another deeply, we cannot tolerate error in our church. We cannot tolerate it. We love each other deeply, but we defend the truth. We defend the truth. And then as we close, we're invited to experience abundant joy. John says, it's kind of like Jude. Jude start out writing one letter and end up saying something else. But John says, I have many things to write to you. I do not want to do so with paper and ink. In other words, I've written something to you, but I got a lot more about this I want to say. But I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face so that your joy may be made full. Fullness of joy is found only as we walk in truth, in love, in obedience, in fellowship with God, in fellowship with one another. That's where true joy comes from. Let me tell you, there are going to be some of you here, you've heard it already. And you're going to hear it again. The world is going to offer you joy. The world is going to offer you pleasure. The world is going to say to you, this is what's going to really make you happy. I've got a friend of mine right now who's walked away from his wife and three children and and four grandchildren because he's looking to be happy. (laughs) I'm not happy. Baloney. God offers us joy as we walk in obedience, as we walk in fellowship with him, with fellow believers, as we walk in truth, as we love in truth. That's where full joy is found. True joy is found in walking with Jesus. This old beloved saint of God, John, loves these believers. He's written this short letter to encourage, to warn, and in doing so to invite them to experience the fullness of joy that is available to all those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ this morning, 
you too can experience the fullness of joy. You can know what it's like to have God's grace, to experience God's grace, God's unconditional love, God's mercy. He does not give you judgment. He gives you a seat at the table instead of judgment. God's peace, you can have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book.